A special thanks goes out to the folks at Anchor.fm who are bringing you this podcast. Coming to you almost live from our studios in New York, this is Tom Reads Your Story. Join voice actor Tom Zania as he reads from articles, social media, past audiobook recordings, and other spoken word projects. And now, here's your host, voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. Thank you, Mr. Announcer. I'm Tom Zania. Hello, everyone. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. Well, it's almost the end of Black History Month. How has race relations changed after four years of Trump? We'll talk about that right after this. Jeff Corey was a great Hollywood character man who became blacklisted in 1951. In the book Improvising Out Loud, My Life Teaching Hollywood How to Act, Corey recounts his extraordinary story. Among the actors who would soon fill his classes were James Dean, Kirk Douglas, Jane Fonda, Rob Reiner, Jack Nicholson, and Leonard Nimoy. In 1962, when the blacklist ended, Corey was one of the industry's first trailblazers to seamlessly reboot his acting career and secure roles in some of the classic films of the era, including Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, True Grit, and Little Big Man, in which he starred as the infamous Wild Bill Hickok. His memoir, which he wrote with his daughter Emily Corey, provides a unique and personal perspective on the man whose teaching inspired some of Hollywood's biggest names to star in the roles that made them famous. Improvising Out Loud, My Life Teaching Hollywood How to Act, written by Jeff Corey with Emily Corey. Listen to this incredible book by visiting audible.com. Hi, this is Tom Zania from Tom Read Your Story. I'm just here to let you know that the audiobooks you hear on my podcast are ones that I recorded myself, and they're available on audible.com. Audible audiobooks number in the thousands. You'll have every type of audiobook, from romance to science fiction to sports biographies to entertainment biographies and so much more. Check out audible.com for your audiobook listening pleasure. And now... Back to the podcast. And we're back. We've learned a lot since four years of Trump has ended about race relations in this country. It is almost the end of Black History Month and we had a lot of um, signs of racial deterioration during Trump, especially toward the end and with the voting and the Trump voters insisting that since all the white people voted for Trump, we should have won. Well, that's not the case. They did not win. And we are left with what was revealed by four years of Trump. 
what was revealed is that we haven't got as far as we should have with race relations in this country. Uh, equality is still way off. We know that with George, George Floyd and several other cases. Uh, we have looked back and said there is work that has to be done. It didn't end with Martin Luther King and several others. But there is one man right now who's uh, very uh, interesting in terms of how he is approaching race relations. But before we do that, there is a very important piece of music from the musical South Pacific that was written by a genius named Oscar Hammerstein. And it is called, You've Got to Be Taught. You've Got to Be Carefully Taught is the title, excuse me. And it's, it's about how, uh, especially in America, how racism is put in very, very young into children, especially in churches, especially in ev evangelical churches. Um, and when I say carefully taught, I mean, don't let anyone else hear what we're talking about. This is the way these people are. You see what I'm saying? You'll learn more about what I'm saying when you listen right now to Harry Connick Jr. sing the song from South Pacific. You've got to be carefully taught. It's not born in us. It happens after you're born. You've got to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drummed in your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made. And people whose skin is a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught before it's too late, before you are six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be carefully And we're back. The, uh, the person I wanted to enlighten you about today is named Daryl Davis. Daryl is a musician. He, he's an activist. He's an actor. And he had a very interesting childhood that did not really teach him about racism. He was brought up uh, in a military family. Basically, his father was a Secret Service 
person who traveled the world. And he was brought up in these other countries where there wasn't all this segregation, where, you know, people of many colors attended the same school. And he thought that was normal. That's what he thought was normal. And it wasn't until his childhood years in America where he was taught about racism and why certain things are happening to him. He is someone who has a very interesting story as far as his approach to um, affecting racism in America. And I want you to listen to this passage from Wikipedia that will fill you in all about Daryl Davis. And immediately after that passage from Wiki, um, I want you to listen to this talk show where he talks to uh, a number of people from the area about what he's done and what he's seen. This is very good. From Wikipedia, Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is an American R&B blues musician, activist, author, actor, and band leader. His efforts to fight racism, in which as an African-American, he engaged with members of the Ku Klux Klan, convinced Klansmen to leave and denounce the KKK. Known for his energetic style of boogie-woogie piano, Davis has played with such musicians as Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, B.B. King, and Bruce Hornsby. Born in Chicago, Illinois, Davis was the son of a Department of State Foreign Service officer and moved around the world with his parents during most of his early childhood. Living in various foreign countries, including African nations, Davis grew accustomed to the casually integrated schools of foreign diplomats, where children of many nations, races, and cultures were schooled together. At the age of 10, he returned to the United States and joined an all-white Cub Scout pack in Belmont, Massachusetts. In one incident, he was carrying the flag and marching with his troop in a local parade when he was struck with rocks and bottles thrown from the crowd, leading the pack leaders to form a protective ring around him. Davis, at the time, did not understand the incident until he discussed it with his father. The irrationality of the incident, in his mind, led to a curiosity about the origins and basis for such racist attitudes, which would later shape much of his future activity. Davis absorbed the style of blues musicians from the Mississippi Delta who had migrated north. In 1980, Davis earned a Bachelor of Music degree from Howard University, where he was a member of the Howard University Choir and Jazz Vocal Ensemble. Davis was mentored by legendary pianists Pine Top Perkins and Johnny Johnson, who both claimed him as their godson and praised his ability to master a piano style that was popular long before he was born, according to his Kennedy Center profile. Davis has frequently played backup for Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis. He was a friend of Muddy Waters and played piano in the legendary Muddy Waters Blues Band. Davis has also performed with blues icon B.B. King. He was awarded Best Traditional Blues R&B Instrumentalist at the 2009 Washington Area Music Awards 
For several years, Davis served as artistic director of the Centrum Acoustic Blues Festival. Davis has worked to improve race relations by seeking out, engaging in dialogue with, and befriending members of the Ku Klux Klan. In 1983, he was playing country-western music in a white bar in Frederick, Maryland, when a patron came up to him and said it was the first time he had heard a black man play as well as Jerry Lee Lewis. Davis explained to the man that Jerry Lee learned to play from black blues and boogie-woogie piano players, and he's a friend of mine. The white patron was skeptical and, over a drink, admitted he was a member of the KKK. The two became friends, and eventually the man gave Davis contact information on KKK leaders. A few years later, Davis decided that he wanted to interview Klan members and write a book on the subject to answer a question in my head from the age of 10. Why do you hate me when you know nothing about me? That question had never been answered from my youth. In meeting with Imperial Wizard of the KKK in Maryland, Roger Kelly, he concealed his race before the interview. My secretary called him, and I told her, do not tell Roger Kelly I'm black. Just tell him I am writing a book on the Klan. I wanted her to call because she's white. I knew enough about the mentality of the Klan that they would never think a white woman would work for a black man. She called him, and he didn't ask what color I was, so we arranged to meet at a motel. The meeting was tense. Kelly arrived at the motel with a bodyguard, armed with a gun. Davis became friends with Kelly, with Davis later invited by Kelly to be his daughter's godfather. When Kelly left the clan, he gave his robe to Davis, who hopes to one day display it in a museum of the clan. Davis eventually went on to befriend over 20 members of the KKK and claims to have been directly responsible for between 20 and 60 and indirectly over 200 people leaving the Klan. He found that the Klansmen had many misconceptions about blacks, which stem mostly from intense brainwashing in their youth. When they got to know him, Davis claims, it was more difficult to maintain their prejudices. Davis recounted his experiences in his 1998 book, Klan-Destin Relationships, a black man's odyssey in the Ku Klux Klan. One Klansman told Davis that all black people have a gene in them that makes them violent, based on the scientific finding that a two-repeat MAOA gene increases the likelihood of violent activity, which was found to be most prevalent in African Americans. After a time, I said, you know, it's a fact that all white people have within them a gene that makes them serial killers. Name me three black serial killers. He could not do it. I said, you have the gene. It's just latent. He said, well, that's stupid. I said, it's just as stupid as what you said to me. He was very quiet after that, and I know it was sinking in. Clan members have often invited Davis to meetings, and they have given him their robes and hoods. In 2016, Davis estimated having collected 25 or 26 robes. Among the knights of the Ku Klux Klan he interviewed were Grand Claliff Chester Doles, Grand Giant 
Tony LaRici and Grand Giant Bob White, according to the Washington Post. One Klan member gave Davis a medallion stamped with the words KKK, Member in Good Standing. Davis claims to be responsible for helping to dismantle the KKK in Maryland because things fell apart after he began making inroads with its members there. However, since the KKK was rebuilt in Maryland under Richard Preston, leader of the Confederate White Knights, who was arrested for firing his gun at counter-protesters at the 2017 Unite the Right rally, Darrell Davis offered to post Preston's bail. He later took Preston to the National Museum of African American History. Shortly thereafter, he was asked to give away the bride at Preston's wedding. The lesson learned is, Ignorance breeds fear, says Davis. If you don't keep that fear in check, that fear will breed hatred. If you don't keep hatred in check, it will breed destruction. Chester Doles, a member of the Klan, was convinced that Davis was a spy for the Anti-Defamation League or some other Klan buster, and Davis's friends found his fascination with the Klan to be odd. He's attracted to controversy, says Adolf Wright, an old friend and fellow musician who believes Davis is a bit eccentric. When the crowd goes right, he goes left, Wright told the Post. Davis's father, the retired senior Foreign Service Officer William B. Davis, believed that his son engaged with the Klan because he needed to make sense of their hatred, to seek common ground. He remarked to the Washington Post that his son has done something that I don't know any other black American or white American has done. In 2016, the documentary film Accidental Courtesy, Daryl Davis, Race, and America, Davis interacts with KKK members and white Aryans and provided contrasting views of his activities from members of the Southern Poverty Law Center and Black Lives Matter. Daryl Davis is an official advisor to decentralized social network minds. He uses the platform to educate people on how to conduct civil discourse, to find common ground, and build tolerance. In an interview with Forbes, Davis said, Here, you have an open forum where people are welcome to bring their diverse ideas, even their beliefs, which people may not find popular, and have civil discourse. The art of conversing with one another has been lost. This forum will allow people to come on there and be able to be transparent, to have conversation unlike some of the other platforms on the Internet. Davis believes education is the best remedy for curing hate, explaining, If you fix the ignorance, there's nothing to fear. If there's nothing to fear, there's nothing to hate. If there's nothing to hate, there's nothing or no one to destroy. In November 2019, Mines and Davis launched the Deradicalization Initiative to combat online extremism. In addition to workshops, meetups, and other live events, the initiative offers educational resources and ideas for promoting tolerance. The biggest body of authority is one that we don't see. And, and, that, and that, that authority's name is they. You know, they say, you know, well, who is they? Uh, so we were talking about uh, uh, crime, black crime. 
and this one different classroom said to me, uh, well, you know, um, they, they say all black people have a gene in them that makes them violent. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, who's doing all the drive-bys and carjackings in Southeast? He was talking about Southeast Washington, D.C., which is predominantly black, high crime ridden. There's some whites that live there, but predominantly black. I said, okay, it's black people, but that's what lives there. Who's doing all the crime in Bangor, Maine? White people, because that's what lives there. I said, you know, you're not, you're not considering the demographics. Oh, no, 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 that has nothing to do with it. You all have this gene, or they say all black people have this gene. I said, look, I'm as black as anybody you've ever seen. I said, I have never done a carjacking or a drive-by. How do you explain that? He didn't even hesitate. He answered me like that. He said, your gene is latent, hasn't come out yet. <laughs> it almost came out right then, but, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I mean, because he was so programmed, you know, from hearing that over and over again, black people, you know, they, they have this gene. It just makes them uncontrollable, violent. And so I was speechless, because how, how do you even bite on that and chew on it? You can't. So I was speechless. He's sitting there all smug, huh? So you got nothing to say. So I thought about it. And then I used his body of authority. I said, well, you know, they say that all white people have a gene in them that makes them a serial killer. And he's like, well, how do you figure? I'm like, well, name me three black serial killers. He couldn't do it. I said, here, I'm going to name one for you. I named one for him. I said, I'm going to give you one. Just name me two. He couldn't do it. I said, look here. Charles Manson, John Wayne Gacy, Henry Lee Lucas, uh, Albert DeSalvo, the Boston Strangler, Ted Bundy, David Berkowitz, son of Sam, on and on. I said, I said, you know, they're all white. I said, son, you are a serial killer. <laughs> he said, Daryl, I've never killed anybody. I said, your genius latent hasn't come out yet. <laughs> and he says, well, that's stupid. I said, well, duh. <laughs> and I said, yes, it is stupid. I said, but it's no more stupid for me to say that about you than what you said about me. He didn't concede right then. He got very quiet. But you can see his wheels were like spinning real fast. And within five months, he left the Klan. His robe was the first robe I ever got. And, and I'll tell you what I did with it. I never had a Klan robe before. I know some of y'all are wondering, so I'm going to go ahead and answer the question for you so you don't have to ask it. All right? I brought the robe home because I know they feel very powerful in their robe and hood. Like, Clark Kent Superman kind of thing. I put the robe on. <laughs> I put the robe on. I put, I, 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 I'm transparent, I'm not gonna lie. I put the hood on and I went and I stood in front of the mirror. I looked at myself. I looked stupid, so I took it off. <laughs> Simple as that. So that's where the Black Klansman story came from? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, sometimes it's not the amount of education and academics and books written, you know, stacks of books written this high that's going to persuade somebody. It's meeting them where they are. And some stupid example that I gave was what resonated with this person. And this next piece from Facebook is something I stumbled on the other day. And it tells, of course, the same information that you've been listening to today, but in a very interesting way. It's short. It's just very nicely written. And I just wanted you to hear it. From Facebook. 
February 22, 2021. Daryl Davis was once an aspiring and successful musician. He had played with Chuck Berry, B.B. King, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Muddy Waters. However, his true claim to fame, the legacy he has forged, came in a very different way. He went out of his way to befriend KKK Grand Wizard Roger Kelly. He spent years building trust between them and laying the foundation of what became a friendship. They broke bread at each other's tables. They welcomed each other into their homes. Davis even went as far as attending Klan rallies as a guest of Kelly. Most importantly, Davis cultivated an atmosphere of listening. He didn't hate Kelly because Kelly hated him. Instead, he listened to Roger Kelly. And eventually, Kelly started listening to him. This led to the two realizing they had far more in common than not. In the end, Kelly denounced his ties to the KKK. So much so, he handed his hood and robe to Daryl Davis. In total, Davis has seen over 200 Klan members walk away from the KKK and hand over their robes and hoods to Daryl. Daryl Davis is a world changer, replacing hate with love, because love conquers hate every time. Some very interesting pieces from an interesting, though unconventional, man, Daryl Davis, fighting for something very important in our country, and that is, of course, race relations. So, that should do it for this episode. If you enjoyed your visit today, please tell your friends. Be sure to email me at TomReadsYourStory at Yahoo.com or call and leave a message at 929-260-1952 if you have questions or comments about the show. As always, thanks, Anchor.fm, for the opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Until next time, stay safe, everyone. For more information on Tom's availability for your e-learning, commercial, or audiobook project, visit his website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. We hope you visit us again soon for another episode of Tom Reads Your Story. <laughs>